Okay, so we are in lesson seven of our series, Change into His Image, and the title today is Becoming Like Christ. And that's what we're all about, right? That's what the title's about. That's what the Christian life's about, is being changed into His image, becoming more and more into the image of Christ. And, you know, we've spent quite a while helping us see that many times, often, we are not that way. And so it's painful to hear that, but it's, it's important to hear that. It's needful to hear that. Um, without Christ, without the Word of God, without the Holy Spirit of God living in us, uh, we cannot be anywhere near the image of Christ. All we have is our flesh, and so we need God's help. And so now we're kind of uh, turning the corner here and talking about how that really works, how that we can overcome our flesh, overcome who we are fundamentally, and become who we are, right? Get, get rid of who we were, in a sense, and really our flesh is still with us, and who we are by ourselves, but then also understanding, reckoning who we are in Christ. The day you got saved, you became a child of God. You became uh, spiritual in the, in, the, in the fact that the Spirit lives within you. You became uh, a victor over sin. You no longer have to give in to sin and its demands. Um, so we need to be who we are now. Amen? And so we're going to learn how that really works practically. And so uh, find your place in 2 Peter chapter 1 if you haven't already. And uh, whenever you find that, go ahead and stand as we read our passage. And then we'll get into our lesson today. First, 2 Peter, if I said first, I meant second. 2 Peter chapter number 1. We'll be looking in verse number 4. Hey there, say amen. Amen. So Peter says this, Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these, by what? By the promises that God's made, not by our strength, not by our, our ability, not by our ability to just pull up by our bootstraps and live for God, but because of the promises of God, we are partakers of, of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. This is who we are. We have already escaped the corruption of our flesh. Brother Chad, why do I still struggle? Well, because it's there and it's pulling at us, and it's, and it's like we talked last time, your, your, your previous employer, and you remember how to do it, but you don't have to anymore because we've escaped that. And so let's, let's uh, live that way. So let's pray, and we'll get into our, into our lesson. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, God, for the precious promises of Christ. Thank you, God, that we, through your name, through your blood, through your spirit, have escaped the corruption that's in us, that we can choose to deny our ungodliness within us, deny our flesh and live for you. Thank you for that great reality. And I pray that you help us to, to live that way. Help us to take that to heart. Help us to, even as Paul said, to reckon that, make it real. And I pray that you help as we consider how that we can do that this morning. Help me to be clear. Help us all, Lord, to have that desire and that you would give us the help that we need this morning. Christ in my pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So we're going to talk a lot about the attributes of God. You'll see that along the way. 
in, in, our, in our introduction, you know, since this book, this series, is all about biblical change and, and changing how we live and changing who we are and what we do, you might be asking, how does a search for God and a study of his attributes change me and make me more like Christ? And you might, I said that in the beginning because you might be tempted to think that way as we go through, because we're going to talk about who God is, we're going to talk about the attributes of God, and, and sometimes it becomes, um, we become, we feel distant from that. It feels like a lecture, it feels just like learning, um, and it is learning, and it is lecture in a sense, it is intellectually stimulating, and you learn some things, but it needs to be more than that, because as, because as we understand who God is, what that is supposed to do is change who we are. As we understand who God is, truly, what it will do is change who we are. Okay? And so what does this have to do with renewing the, the mind? And so those are good questions that are at the heart of what really this book, this series, and honestly the Word of God is truly all about. And it's this, exposure to God brings about profound change in a believer. The kind of change to Christ-likeness that we need, that's the point. We're looking for change. The way we get it is not by lots of techniques and strategies, although those can have their place. Fundamentally, though, what we're lacking and what we need is exposure to God. Not just words on a page in the Bible, although that's the avenue, but it's the avenue that gets us to this place where we're exposed to God himself and who God is. God gave us the word of God so we can study it and know it, but not as an end in itself. God gave us the word of God so we can study it and know it so that we can know our creator, so that we can know him as a person, so that we can know who he is and what he is like. And when we understand who God is, we understand truly what he's like, that is the, listen, the only thing that's going to change us. It's not just biblical principles. I've heard people say, oh, you know, these, these books work because they're biblical principles. And they don't mention God at all, but, but they're biblical principles. And I understand that. And there is a sense of truth to that. But really, it's shallow. If we just live the biblical principles, listen, if, you, if you're honest, if we just live the biblical principles selfishly because they help us and they work in our life, we're missing the whole point. The biblical principles drive us to, to God. We're created to have a relationship with God. Our Creator created us. Why? You ever ask yourself, why do I exist at all? Why did He make me? Our Creator created us. God created you. God designed you before you were ever in your mother's womb. It's almost, God had the blueprints of your DNA all figured out. He knew who you would be. He knew what you would look like. He knew how tall you'd be. He knew what color your hair would be. He knew what color your eyes would be. He knew your personality. He created all that. Why? Because he wanted to have relationship with you. Relationship with you. Not just so that you can have principles that help you tolerate life. We're getting the cart before the horse, aren't we? We need to get in love with who God is. Not just his, not just his principles. You see? But, but you're not going to really truly know who God is unless you submit yourself to the principles of the Word of God. You see? That's what it's all about. But primarily we need to know this. 
that it's primarily about a relationship with a person. Yeah. And so by the end of this lesson, we should be able to do these things. <clears throat> Explain the importance and effects of, of the Bible doctrine of this. Illumination. Big word. I'm going to spell it. I want you to write it down. Illumination. I-L-L-U-M-I-N-A-T-I-O-N. I-L-L-U-M-I-N-A-T-I-O-N. Illumination. It means to shed light on something. It means to turn the light bulb on. Illumination. The doctrine is a doctrine of illumination in Christian growth. The point that, just in a nutshell, we were in darkness, right? Apart from God, we're in spiritual darkness, unable to understand God, unable to understand the truths of the Word of God. We cannot listen on our own. We cannot truly understand God and His Word. So God illuminates us through the Word of God, through the Holy Spirit of God. We're illuminated. And it's a doctrine of the Word of God that we're going to kind of look at today. And that's very important for Christian growth. And the next is understand the importance and effects of exposure. That's the blank. Exposure to God and His attributes in the Word. Exposure is E-X-P-O-S-U-R-E. Um, it's not in our notes, but I want to say this. Um, you know, the Word of God is powerful. The Word of God we can trust, and we know that it's God's Word. And there's a lot of ways that we can know that. There's a lot of scientific and historical data that we can look at. We can look at the fact that it's perfect in every way, that there's no contradictions, and, and all that. But really, I would contend this, that the most compelling argument that the Word of God is what it says it is, is because the truth of the Word of God, we cannot come up with on our own. You see? The way that the Bible says to think the way that the Bible says to live, who God is and what he is like is totally foreign to human thinking. And that is really, in my mind, one of the most compelling ways we know that this is the word of God. You go read other, other uh, religious texts, and you read about their God, and they're a lot like us. <laughs> yeah, a little bit vindictive, um, selfish in some ways. Um, anyways because they're created by man. But, but our God is different than us. And, and the way that he thinks is not the way we think. And we would not know the truth of the word of God without the word of God, you see. That's the doctrine of illumination. Okay, we'll talk about that in a second. You're getting me ahead of myself, okay? And I'm, I'm offended by that. I forgive you, though. Thanks for that. Uh, number one, more about the attributes of God. We looked a lot about the attributes of God last week. Um, we're going to dig even deeper today. Letter A. Now here's a big fancy theologian word that you can know and sound really smart with your friends, okay? A non-communicable attribute. What? All it really means is that no creature, that's the blank, no creature of God can get these attributes. These are attributes that are not communicated from God to his creation. Are you following? These are attributes that are only that only God possesses. And it's this, omnipotence. And we're not going to spend a lot of time on this, but it's that God's all-powerful. You might write that down. I should have maybe gave a quick definition, but we just don't have time to deal with all of them. But omnipotence, that God's all-powerful. He has all power to do all things. Nobody else has that ability. 
He's omniscient. Omniscient means he's all-knowing. He knows everything, everything that is, everything that was, everything that will be, everything you're thinking, everything you're feeling, everything. God knows it. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere at all times. It's hard for us to understand that. How is God everywhere all the time? Uh, how, I, I know that new believers sometimes struggle this way. How can, how can God be with me and them and them and them? How can God hear my prayer and talk to me and also at the same time hear somebody else's prayer and talk to them? Because he's God. He's the only one that can do that. Okay? And he's immutable. Immutability. That means he never changes. Never. He's always the same. We're not that way. And none of God's creatures are that way. They change. God doesn't. These are attributes of our God that only he has. Okay, why do you say all that? Because letter B, there are some attributes that we're supposed to have that God has. Being Christ-like means acquiring his communicable attributes. I should have made you write that down. It would have been fun. But communicable attributes. The fruit of the Spirit. That's the blank. The fruit of the Spirit. These, fruit of the Spirit, these are attributes of God that we can possess and that we really are commanded to possess. Not suggestions. We're supposed to have these. Why? Because God lives in us. If we're saved, if you're saved today, your sins are forgiven. The moment you got saved, the Holy Spirit began to live in you. And the Holy Spirit's not some mystical force. It's not Star Wars. He's God himself living in you. And if God is living in you, then there ought to be these fruit being produced. If these fruit are not being produced, there's only two options. God's not in there, or you're not letting him work. You see? So these are not suggestions, and they're not things that we need to work up and and really uh, try really hard at, because our flesh can't produce these. doesn't matter how hard we try, we can't produce these. We have to let God produce these in and through us. The only, the only place we have in this, is like I said last week, is getting low. The only way we can produce these fruit is if we get low and we die to ourselves. we realize we cannot live the life God wants us to live, we cannot do it, and we need God to do it. And some of us live defeated lives because we say, well, I just can't do that. Well, that's good. You, you need to know you can't do it. You need to know that you're a dirt bag just like me and just like everybody That's the point. That's the first point. The second point is, but God lives in you. And you don't have to be you. You need to be Christ, who lives in you, through the power of the Holy Spirit, you see? And so these are attributes of God. This list, the fruit of the Spirit, describe God the Father. They describe Christ himself. You can see the life of Christ emanating through the the Spirit, uh, the fruits of the Spirit, and they describe the Spirit of God who lives in you, which means they should describe, they should describe your life. They should. Not always does that happen, right? And honestly, if we're, if we're honest, most of the time it's not happening. But that doesn't mean it can't happen most of the time. And in fact, that doesn't mean it's not commanded that it happen most of the time. It just means that oftentimes we're not obeying God and surrendering to Him and dying daily and waking up in the morning and saying, God, I know what I want to do today. I know what I think about today. But I'm setting those aside. It doesn't matter what I want about today. It doesn't matter how I feel about today. What matters is what you want. And I truly want what you want today. And I truly um, 
uh, want to be who you want me to be today. And help me to feel about today the way that you feel about today. This is the day that you have made, and you've given me this day. And every day we have to do that, and we have to continually deny ourselves. Jesus said, take up your cross. That means execute yourself every day, spiritually, not physically. But we die to ourselves. We die to our wants. We die to our thinking, and we surrender to his. And as we do that, God begins to produce his fruit in our life. And it's these. One, love. Genuine self-sacrifice for the good of others. Genuine. That means you're not, you're not looking at, out for the good of others so that they'll also look out for the good of you. That's not how God views us, is it? God died for us, and we have nothing to offer him. We need to love each other and love, love people whether or not they're going to do anything for us today. You see? That's true love. That's biblical love. Joy. A feeling of great pleasure and delight in who God is and in what he has provided. I don't know if you noticed, but who God is and what he provides never changes. God's immutable. He's always the same. And if we truly find delight and pleasure in who God is, then what we'll have is an abiding joy. And yeah, we'll have sorrow throughout the day and throughout our life, and things will happen that will bring heartache and trouble. But, but what we'll have underneath that and foundationally supporting all of that is an abiding joy. Why? Because we've chosen to make who God is most important to us. That's joy. You see? Peace. A sense of well-being. Rest, tranquility, contentment. This is peace that passes understanding it's, again, rooted in who God is, not on what's happening. Long-suffering, stability under pressure, self-control under provocation from people. People provoke, don't they? They're annoying sometimes. Sometimes. Not all the time. Not very often, right, Brother Tim? Uh, <clears throat> some, some people are even more provoking than others. Uh, but I'm just saying that long-suffering means that you don't allow that to get to you all the time. If you're cranky, you're not long-suffering. If you have a short temper, you're not long-suffering. And it's not because of your personality, it's because you've not surrendered to God yet in that area, you see. I'm thankful God, isn't, God doesn't get annoyed with us. We provoke Him a lot. And if He was like us, I would be squashed the moment I'm born, even before, because we are rotten. And we provoke Him relentlessly, but He is long, long suffering. Gentleness. Kindness toward others. Reasonableness. Flexibility. Kindness. Gentleness. That's who our God is, and that's who we ought to be. Goodness. Benevolent thoughts and actions toward others. Generosity. You find yourself always thinking negative about people, but you're not being, you're not displaying this fruit of goodness. We ought to see the best in people. We ought to, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians that hope, charity, believeth all things. It, it, we, when, we, when we have to fill in the cracks, we fill them in with good things. We don't assume evil all the time. It, it, we're not suspicious and, and critical, critical and cynical when we love people the way God loves people. We have benevolent thoughts and action toward others. Generous. Faith, that's faithfulness, reliability. You, you, you are who you say you are. You do what you say you'll do. And 
and, and you follow God faithfully no matter how hard life gets. That's our God. He is who He is, right? He does what He says He'll do. Meekness. This is good. Willingness to be governed. Willingness to be governed. Now, it goes against our American fight, but we need to have a willingness to be governed. Some of us just fight authority just because we don't like authority, not because the authority has an issue. We just like to, we just don't want to be governed. A submissive attitude toward authority and circumstances. Temperance as self-control, especially of one's person. Control yourself. Control your desires. Control your impulses. Don't, don't give in to the instincts that pull you away that you shouldn't be going. You, you control your own body. You control your own desires. Okay? This is who God wants us to be. Now, I understand that's not who we are. That's the point. But that's where we're headed, right? That's the goal. This is where we want to be. And the way we reach this goal is by, by what we're going to talk about today. We, get, we understand God better. And we know God better. And we allow that to change us. And the more time you spend with God, the more He'll change you. The, I'll caution you, though, the more time you spend with God, the more you're going to find out how rotten you are. But then it's going to, it's going to, though, naturally change you into the image of Christ more and more from glory to glory. Let us see these fruit of the Spirit come out of the tea bag when a spirit-controlled, that's the blank, controlled, C-O-N-T-R-O-L-L-E-D, a spirit-controlled believer is put into hot water. Remember we talked about the hot water situations and the tea bag and and, and we get upset about the tea that's coming out. No, we get upset about the water that causes the, the flavor to come out, but really the problem is where the flavor's coming from. In the hot water situations, here's how you know if you're spiritual or not. When you get in those hot water situations, when you become overwhelmed, when, you, when, you, when things happen that you don't like, what, where, what are you doing? How are you feeling? What, what, are your, what, what are your actions? What are your thoughts? This is what's in you. The spirit-controlled believer is going to produce the fruit of the spirit even when, and I would contend especially when, the hot water comes. It's what Jesus said whenever, whenever he said at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he said, remember the house on the rock and the house in the sand, and when the storms come, that's when you find out who's truly building their house on the rock or those who are just show, putting on a show, and, and then their house will fall flat. This is the Christian character. This is who we are, not because of what's happening, but intrinsically, who we truly are, if we're spirit-controlled. You see? It's who God is, and it's who we ought to be. And again, not what we ought to do. The fruit of the Spirit is not what we ought to do. The fruit of the Spirit is who we ought to be. We don't just do loving things, we be a loving person. You see? We need to be this. Be this. Not just be. Alright. Number two, changed by his glory. Now go to Second Corinthians. You can leave your spot for now in, in uh first Peter and go to Second Corinthians chapter three.
when you're there, say amen. So in our notes, it says, changed by his glory. I don't know if I gave you that blank yet. Changed by his glory. The verse says, but we all, with an open face, now we'll explain what that means, beholding as in a glass, now a glass is a mirror, the glory of the Lord. So we're, we're, we're beholding the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. How are you changed into His image? That's what we're talking about. It's by putting your face in the Word of God, and then it will become a mirror. Right? When you first look at it, it is not reflecting you. But what will happen is, it'll change you. And eventually, it'll start looking a little bit like you. Did it change? No. You changed. And at first, it'll be a fuzzy reflection. You'll look a little bit like it. But if you continue to behold the mirror with open face, looking in the glass, day by day, glory by glory, the image will become clearer and clearer. And you'll align your life more and more into the image of Christ. And it happens as we behold God. See? Behold God. In our verses just before, the verses just before this verse, Paul was explaining that the lost are spiritually blinded. We're not going to read all of them and exposit it all. I'm just going to give this to you to help you. The blank is blinded. And, and Paul says, as if a veil were over their face. A veil is like a curtain, and there's like there's like a piece of cloth over the blind. And the, the lost, I mean. The lost are blinded. They, they can't understand spiritual truth. They don't understand why we do what we do. They don't know why we get up and come to church on a Sunday morning and be here all day. They don't understand why we love to be around each other. They don't understand why we don't do certain things. They don't understand why we do certain things. They don't understand how we do certain things. Why? Because, because the lost are blinded spiritually. It's like a veil is put over them, their eyes. See? By contrast, believers have an open face, or an unveiled. The veil is taken away, you see? And are able to see the glory of God. He's alluding to the temple. Now, I wasn't going to do this, but i got to do this. In the Old Testament, in the temple, the tabernacle in the temple, there was the Holy of Holies. And that's where the high priest would go in and meet with God. And it, that's where the ark was, and that's where the presence of God was in that time. But there was a veil, wasn't there? There was a curtain where, where man could not go in and see God. In fact, the high priest was the only one who could. And if he wasn't totally right with God, there was a rope tied to his ankle with bells on it, and the rope came out of the out of the Holy of Holies, and if you heard the bells stop, that means pull out the dead body. Because it's a pretty serious deal to be in the presence of God. And you better be right. You see? But there was a veil and it and it kept God separate separated separated from sinners. See? And you had to make sacrifices and you had to come to the priest and the priest would go to the high priest and the high priest would go to God. That's how it works. 
When Jesus died on the cross, did you know the veil was ripped in two? Listen, from the top to the bottom. Pretty tall veil. They didn't jump up. God did that. God ripped the veil from the top to the bottom when Jesus died on the cross, granting us access to the Father, granting us access to the Holy of Holies, giving us the ability to boldly approach the throne of God and be right in his presence. Why? Not because we deserve it, but because Christ paid the payment. And now we get to unveiled face, see the glory of God. And my friend, when you do that, that should change you. And if it's not changing you, then what that means is you're not taking this serious. You're not really looking at God. You're not really stripping yourself of yourself and, and trying to, to, to enter the presence of God and, and see Him as He is. You see. But when you see Him as He is, and you're illuminated that way, it will change you. It will. Believers have that access. Yeah. You can see the glory of God. God's glory is the manifestation of His glorious character. Primarily, that's how we see it. We notice God's character in the way He dealt with both believers and unbelievers in the Bible. In the Old Testament, He would often show His character through the many names of God. Many The names of God all mean something different. And what they are doing is they're explaining the character of God. And as you really truly get to know who God is, and you see His character, it really should change you. In the New Testament, the glorious character of God is shown through the character of Jesus Christ. John 1.14 says, And we beheld His glory even as the begotten of the Father. They, who's we? The apostles. They saw Christ live, and as they, as, they, as they watched Christ's life, he what did he do? He exhibited the fruit of the Spirit, didn't he? He exhibited the glorious character of God in human form. That's Christ. Okay. And so Paul is saying in, in 2 Corinthians 3.18 that believers are changed, that's the blank, they're changed as they behold the glorious character of God with an open, unveiled face. <clears throat> Truly seeing and understanding the glorious character of our God will change you. Berg said this in his book, no one, no one who is exposed to the glories of God as they are revealed by God's Spirit through the Scriptures will remain as you behold the glory of God with an open face, you'll be different. The lost has no choice. Right? The lost has the veil. They cannot see God. They cannot understand the glory of our God. I'm afraid a lot of Christians pick up the veil and put it back on. Where, yeah, we read our Bible, yeah, we come to church, but really, we're not open, you see? We're not really taking this serious. We just come to church because that's what we do. We'll be with our friends, and, and we'll, we'll, you know, get some coffee in the foyer, and we'll chat, but we're not really here. Listen, we're not really here with an open face. We're so distracted by our life, we're so distracted by what's going on, that we've forgotten 
that we're here to see the glory of our God. I'm, I'm concerned that a lot of Christians do that. But if you remove the veil, if you put aside the petty things of your life, put aside who you, who you think you're mad at or whatever, put aside what you think you want, stop thinking about lunch even though I'm excited about lunch, but we need to put that to the side. Let's stop being distracted by the things of our life and, and come with an open face focused on the character of God. And I promise you, if you do that, you'll leave here changed. How do you know that? Well, that's what the verse says. When you behold the glory of our God, you're different afterwards. And that's what, that's what we're doing here, isn't it? We're here, to, we're here to look in the face of our God and be different. You see? Take off the veil. God's already taken it off. You need to take it off. Yeah. So illumination. Illumination is when God turns on the light. That's the point. When God turns on the light. You might be wondering, Brother Chad, you're saying all this stuff. I don't understand. What are you talking about? I read the Bible. I don't know what's going on. Well, oftentimes it's because we're coming to God veiled. And we need to come to God open. Ready to hear from Him. Ready to change and do whatever He asks us. With an open heart, an open mind, an open face. He'll do that. He'll illuminate. God's Spirit brings us to an understanding of spiritual truth. That's what he's all about, the blankest truth. That's why he comes. That's his job. The Holy Spirit's job is not to get you to, to fall in the aisle and start rolling. The Spirit's job is not to get you to run around and wave your hands in the air like you just don't care and sing lots of songs. That's not the Spirit's job. The Spirit's job is to help you understand the truth of the Word of God. And that might cause some excitement but not usually the what we're seeing in a lot of Pentecostal circles around. That's a lot of just pure emotion. But as the Holy Spirit truly reveals the truth of the Word of God to you, that should stir you some, I think, don't you think? But His job, the Holy Spirit's job, is not to, not to take you and just couldn't help it. I just had to do something. That's not what He does. He doesn't control your body. He controls your mind. He illuminates your mind. He helps you see intellectually and emotionally and volitionally. That means you're going you're gonna to want to do it. But he will, he will show your mind what the truth of the Word of God is. And then as you understand the truths, truly understand in a deep way the truths of the Word of God, then it will start to spur maybe a hand to go in the air and say, God, thank you for who you are. You see, that's what the Spirit does. Yeah, he illuminates. Illumination is ultimately focused on helping man to better know God. K-N-O-W. To better know God. Yeah. Uh, Berg, uh, Tozer actually says this quote. For millions of Christians, God is no more real to, than he is to non-Christians. I'll say that again, then we'll flip the page. For millions of Christians, God is no more real than he is to non-Christians. It's a sad statement, but I think it's true. They go through life trying to love an ideal and be loyal to a mere principle. A loving personality, though, dominates the Bible. Again, God's not just about biblical principle. He is a person who then gives principles, you see. Always a living person, God himself is present, speaking, pleading, loving, working, and manifesting himself whenever and wherever his people have the receptivity necessary to receive the manifestation. Let's old speak and maybe above some of our heads, but what he's saying is that God's ready to help. God's pleading and speaking and wanting to work 
in those who have made themselves available to hear. How does that work? You move the veil. You need to be saved to understand anything but the gospel. But if you're saved, you need to want to know. Not just show up and put on a show here. If we cooperate with him in loving obedience, God will manifest himself to us. And that manifestation will be the difference between, between a nominal Christian life and a life radiant with the light of his face. Awesome. Tozer. Read Tozer. He's great. Almost all of his quotes are just awesome. <laughs> but we need, to be, we need to be more in love with God as a person. That is what's going to change us. Spiritual growth requires exposure to God. He Berg gives this example of being tanned by the sun. <clears throat> Without endorsing modern obsession with sun tanning, amen. All right. I don't even sun tan, I sunburn, no matter what I do. But anyway, there's this weird obsession with being darker for some reason. I don't know why. But it does, though, illustrate the way Christians can become more Christ like. A suntan is a result of exposure to the sun, right? A tan obtained on a vacation is no less a tan just because it goes away after the person has returned to his normal routine out of the sun's rays. If he wants to keep the suntan, he must continue his exposure to the sun, right? The same is true spiritually. Spiritual growth that comes at camp is real growth. I want to, the blank is real. Sometimes people think, you know, they go to camp and they get on fire for God, they come and it's put out. It wasn't even real. No, it was real because they were actually exposed to God. What we do at camp is awesome because what we do is we take away all their phones, we take away all their distractions, we take away all their friends who don't care about God, we take away all this, the I wanted to say stupidness. I just did. Stupidness of their life that's distracting them from God. And then they spend a week just looking at God. And when you do that, you cannot leave there unchanged. Problem is they come home and they, they sew the veil back on their forehead. And they, they don't look at God again. And it doesn't take long for that to go away, does it? Yeah. It doesn't have to be that way. We can live our entire life that way. We just have to choose for ourselves to put away some of this stuff that's, that's blocking our vision. We've become so busy with so many things in life, and we think it's all so important, but really what's happening is we're allowing all these things to crowd our life, and we can't even see past our life to see the God who wants a relationship with us. And we make him priority, don't we? And we oftentimes add God to our life, and we want him to fix everything, but that's not how it works. We don't add God to our life. We put God in the center of our life. And everything that we do revolves around Him, and we gaze into His eyes, and then what happens is all that other stuff that we think is so important, here's what's going to happen. It's either going to become not very important and we'll drop it, or it'll become way better. Yeah. So what we need to do is put God where He belongs, in the center, in front of our eyes. And it's become the glass. A light-skinned man who is not tanned as much as he would like can only do one thing. Spend more time in the sun. Right? 
In the same way, a believer who is not manifesting godliness in some area of his life can only do one thing. Spend more time in the Word. That's the blank. And it's not like the act of reading the Bible is going to fix everything. It's, it's a desire to be like God and then spending more time in the Word where God and asking God to illuminate your mind and heart. That's when things are going to be different. Following? to be exposed to God more. When the, when the Bible is being preached, we ought to want to be there. Why? Because what our life's all about is becoming more like God. And if someone's going to get behind a pulpit and preach a passage, and he's studied for four, five, six hours, and now he's going to exposit the Word of God for us and apply it to our life, hey, there's nothing more exciting that should be in our life than that. That's what it's all about. That's how we get exposed to God. We sit under the preaching. We read the Word every day. These need to become important to us. These need to become exciting to us. These ought not to be something that's drudgery and say, oh man, we have revival coming up. No, we should be like, there's revival coming up and I get to hear the word of God preached day after day after day and get more exposed to my God. But if I don't go, man, pastor's going to be all over me. By the way, I'm going to try not to do that. I don't want to force you here. I want you to want to be here. If you don't want to be here, that's a problem. Because this is where we get exposed to God, you see. And that should be exciting to us. And if it's not, it could be we've made other things, allowed other things to take the place of what should be in front of our face, you see. Maybe. That's between you and God. Yeah. Number four. Evidences of exposure, as a blank, exposure to God. Almost done. <clears throat> Blank's exposure. Illuminated truth moves us intellectually. First, intellectually. If you're moved emotionally before you understand why you're moved emotionally, it's probably not God. It's probably a manufactured emotion, you see. And a lot of, there's ways to do that. I mean, that's what concerts are all for. You don't know what that dude's saying on the, on the platform at a rock concert, hardly. He's screaming, really angry. <laughs> you don't know what he's saying, but you're moved, not intellectually, but you're, you're, you're moved emotionally. God's not like that. God moves intellectually first, and then what he does intellectually, then and that, that produces emotion. You see? Unfortunately, there's a lot of Christians out there who are trying to copy rock concerts. Not just because of the rock band and the and, and the electric guitars and the drums. There's the philosophy behind it that says you get a lot of people here, you get them hyped up, and if they're hyped up, then they're living for God. And then because we had the Bible involved, this, this is all what God's doing. No, oftentimes it's us manufacturing emotion without the intellectual part. And God's not in that. God's not in that. You see, God primarily and firstly starts intellectually. It's, it's validity. It says this is right. This is right. I'm hearing this, and it's right. I have to believe it because it's true. Whenever we see some area of our own life in contrast to God's nature, we will see our own great deficiency in rebellion. And we're humbled by that because we see it intellectually. We, we see what we're doing. We see what the Bible says, and we find out they don't match. You see? So it starts in our mind, our own life. 
But illuminated truth does move us emotionally. Emotionally. After we see intellectually what the Bible says and understand it for ourselves and our minds, it moves us. It's beautiful. It's not, it's not just super exciting and thrilling necessarily, although it is. Primarily, it's beautiful. You see, that's the, primarily the emotion that we get when we're exposed to God. This is wonderful. I need to praise God because His truth is beautiful to me. His truth is lofty. His truth is, is high and lifted up. And it causes me to want to praise Him reverently. You see? There's great joy within Him. There's a, in Him a great peace. And as a result, the believer is satisfied emotionally. Numbers, letter, letter C, not number C. <laughs> letter C, illumination, illuminated truth moves us volitionally. V-O-L-I-T-I-O-N-A-L-L-Y. Volitionally. There's an urgency, there's a responsibility that's attached to whenever we understand the truth of the Word of God. It compels you. Again, it's not something where you're just mind, mindlessly going through and you don't know why you're doing what you're doing. No, you need to know why you're doing what you're doing. God tells you what you need to do, and he makes it clear to you what you need to do, and then that is why you need to do it. Not just He doesn't just pick you up and float you down the aisle. You need to understand, your life. If, if, you're, if you're lost, intellectually you need to see that you're lost. And if you were to die today, you'd go to hell forever. That's intellectual, that's emotional, and that's volitional, isn't it? When you truly understand that if you were to pass it away right now in your chair, if you knew that you would wake up in hell and it was real to you, that's intellectual, but that, that will produce an emotion in you and that will produce volition, a, an urgency to get up and do something about it because God wants you to come up here and get forgiven of your sin and then instead of spending eternity in hell forever, you'll spend eternity with God forever. But it's not some kind of mystical picking you up and bringing you and dropping you down and you don't even know why you're up here. It needs to be first intellectual, you see, then emotional, and then volitional. Heart, mind, and then will. I'm sorry, mind, heart, and will. Yeah. After encountering the glory of God, Isaiah desired to serve the Lord. Be quiet. <laughs> Siri and Isaiah doing his own thing. <laughs> the Apostle Paul, upon beholding the glory of God, asked, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? James said, Faith without works is dead. Why? Because faith, when you truly are convinced of the, of the truth of the Word of God, what that will do is cause you to have a desire to do something about it. And when we, when we understand the glorious nature of God and the salvation He's brought to our lives, it only makes sense that we would have a desire to serve Him. You see in it? Letter D, this is revival. This is what revival looks like. Revival starts in the mind, affects the heart, and then affects your actions. A lot of revivals are backwards. Where people are doing something, and then you go do it with them, and you don't know why. And then you get caught up in the emotion that they have. And then maybe along the way you'll read a verse or two. That's opposite. It's not biblical revival, you see. <clears throat> when the Holy Spirit reveals the glory of God, 
the believer's response is always this. First, this is right. This is right. Intellectually, this is right. I know this is right. I know it. I'm convinced. I'm convicted. That's what the Holy Spirit does, right? He brings conviction. That's what he does. And when you're convicted and you're convinced, you know this is right, then it's, and then you give into it. This is wonderful. I must praise him. I must praise this truth. I must be excited. I'm excited about what I'm learning. And then this is compelling. I must do it. See? That's revival. The man moved in this manner by what he is seeing of God is being revived. And others cannot help noticing the profound change. That's revival. That's what we need. We need to get to know God. We need to get to know God intellectually. We need to understand who He is. But then as we find out, listen, as we understand who He is truly, then what's going to happen is there needs to be a desire to know Him personally. And then as you know Him personally, there's a desire to serve Him. You need to be illuminated. So Brother Josh is going to play. We'll just take a, few, a minute or two and respond. Respond by relying upon God. To illuminate your mind when you read the scriptures. When you read the word of God every day, hopefully, and when you're here at church, by the way, on Saturday night, you should be praying, God, help me tomorrow to understand what your word is going to tell me. I need you. We need God for that. Next, respond by looking for God and his attributes and his word as you study it. Don't just look for biblical principles. Look for who God is. Look for the person of God. And then let her see he has this in there. I, I think it's great. Spend a day or afternoon with God. Or afternoon with God. Pack a Bible, a songbook, a journal, find a quiet place. Get, here's what you don't have to do that specifically, but what you do need to do at times is get away from the distractions of life, not just so that you can oh, get away from the distractions of life, but so that you can then focus on God with your whole heart. Get alone with God. Because that's what we need. That's how we'll be changed. So, Brother Josh, you go ahead and play. And then. Go.